spread the word. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back. And this week, we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney, make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusions apply. See store or jcp.com for details. Sask Egg Today is brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Future Ford is your automotive expert. From sales to service, they're the ones you can trust to get you rolling again sooner. Sask Egg Today with Doug Faulkner. Good afternoon and welcome to Sask Egg Today. Coming up on today's program, the November Ice Futures canola contract did well this week while the December Minneapolis wheat contract was a bit down. We'll hear from PI Financial Commodity Futures Advisor Adam Pacallo, and he will tell us about how the markets are going. Ranching without records is like traveling without a map. Records tell you where you've been and where you are. The Canadian Cow-Calf Surveillance Network is up and running, and we'll hear from Dr. Reynold Bergen, who is the Beef Research Council of Canada's Science Director. With harvest upon us, many canola producers will be scouting for disease in their crops. Warren Ward is an agronomy specialist with the Canola Council of Canada. He'll tell us what farmers should be looking for. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of GX on Agriculture, now known as Sask Ag Today. But it's time now for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bio meal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your REMAX Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Welcome back to Saskag Today. It's time now for the Beef and Forage Report, and that's a presentation of Priestville Salvage. See them for new and used ag parts. A Beef and Forage Report. Expected progeny differences are an evaluation of an animal's genetic worth as a parent. Chelsea Siemens, the Livestock and Feed Extension Specialist with the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture in Kindersley, explains. Expected progeny differences, or EPDs, have been used as a selection tool for beef cattle for many years. EPDs express the potential genetic makeup of one animal's progeny or offspring compared to another. They help to predict an animal's ability to pass on specific traits and allow producers to compare bulls or females within the same breed to make purchase or retention decisions. Traditional EPDs rely on a combination of the individual animal's performance as well as the performance of its relatives. Often, bulls and replacement heifers are purchased or retained as yearlings before much of their own performance is known and before they have produced any calves. As a result, their EPDs are based on the performance of relatives and tend to be less accurate than those of older animals that have produced calves. Accuracy is expressed as a percentage and indicates how close the EPD is to the true value. As more information is collected over time, accuracy of the EPD increases. The incorporation of genomic data into EPDs is an extra layer of information that improves accuracy. Data is obtained by collecting a DNA sample and sending it to a lab for testing of a predetermined set of genes. 
Other genetic testing like parentage verification may be done at the same time. This genomic data can increase EPD accuracy, similar to having performance data on 10 to 30 calves of that animal, depending on the trait. The incorporation of genomic data improves the quality of EPDs over pedigree data alone. However, the accurate collection and reporting of performance data, like birth, weaning, and yearling weights, calving ease, and carcass data is still vital. Genomically enhanced EPDs combine data from genetic testing with pedigree performance and progeny data for an overall value. The use of genomically enhanced EPDs adds information, however, there are limitations that don't change with this added data. Most traits are not completely dictated by genetics. Environmental or non-genetic factors also play a role, and it's important to recognize the impact of these factors. The proportion of a trait that can be explained by genetics alone is referred to as the heritability. Additionally, traits do not exist in isolation from one another. Selection for one trait can unintentionally result in changes to another. An awareness of the heritability of traits and correlations between traits is helpful for deciphering EPDs and creating a strategy to use them for selection of desired characteristics in the herd. For more information, please contact your local regional services office or call the Agriculture Knowledge Centre at 1-866-457-2377. And that's today's Beef and Forage Report. It's time now for the Ag Review portion of our program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. GX94, Agri-View. Despite a hot and dry summer across much of the prairies, prices for feed barley and feed wheat have fallen off over the past month. The high delivered bid for Alberta feed barley was $8.06 per bushel, $1.42 less than one month ago, according to Prairie Ag Hotwire. Those in Saskatchewan and Manitoba were $6.50 per bushel, down a dollar, and $6.40 per bushel, down a dollar ten, respectively. The high delivered bid for feed wheat in Alberta was $10.75 per bushel, 95 cents lower than last month. In Saskatchewan and Manitoba, they were $9.50 per bushel, down 85 cents, and $8.65 per bushel, down $1.20, respectively. Two cargo vessels have left a port near Odessa, Ukraine, the third and fourth to transit from deepwater Ukrainian ports through the Black Sea since Russia withdrew from a safe passage deal for grain ships. The Liberia-flagged Anna Teresa and Marshall Islands-flagged Ocean Courtesy bulk carriers left the port of Pivdeni through a temporary corridor for civilian vessels. Russia has blockaded Ukrainian ports since it invaded its neighbor in February of 2022 and threatened to treat all vessels as potential military targets after pulling out of the UN-backed Ukrainian grain deal in July. In response, Ukraine announced a humanitarian corridor hugging the western Black Sea coast near Romania and Bulgaria. Meanwhile, Russian President Vladimir Putin will hold talks with Turkish President Tayyip Erdogan on Monday in the Russian Black Sea resort of Sochi. The meeting will primarily discuss Black Sea grain exports. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres says he sent Russia a set of concrete proposals aimed at reviving a deal that allowed the safe export of Ukrainian grain via the Black Sea, where Russia controls Ukraine's sea lanes. 
Russia quit the deal in July, a year after it was brokered by the United Nations and Turkey, complaining that Western economic sanctions were hampering its own food and fertilizer exports in contravention of a parallel memorandum and that not enough Ukrainian grain was going to countries in need. The Black Sea grain deal was intended to combat a global food crisis that the United Nations said had been worsened by Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine in February of 2022, which Russia calls a special military operation. For the first time in five years, the United States Department of Agriculture forecasts national net farm income will fall nearly 23 percent in 2023, coming down from a record high in 2022. Net farm income, defined by the USDA as a broad measure of profits, has risen each of the past five years, but will come down $41.7 billion in 2023 to $141.3 billion in 2023. That's a 22.8% decline from 2022's record of $183 billion. The forecast projects farm cash receipts will fall 4.3% overall to $513.6 billion, while expenses have risen 6.9% to reach $458 billion. Government payments are forecast to fall $2.9 billion, or 19% as well. The report comes out as Congress is expected to draft a new farm bill this fall. Ontario Agricultural College is seeking approvals to offer a new master's degree in plant agriculture, which would designate plant science professionals operating at a grad school level, but not on the traditional research-based path. The school's proposed new Master of Plant Agriculture program would allow recent graduates and professionals to quickly upgrade education and training without the need of conducting academic research through a traditional thesis-based program. The University of Guelph-based college would offer the first intake to the new program through its Department of Plant Agriculture starting in the fall of 2024, pending approvals from the Ontario University's Council on Quality Assurance and the Provincial Ministry of Colleges and Universities. The new master's degree would address the demands of employers in the private and public sectors who are looking for professionals with advanced expertise in plant breeding, crop production and plant science. And be sure to listen to the latest SaskAg Today podcast. It's brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Please stay tuned. SaskAg Today will return right after these messages. If- Welcome back to SaskAg Today. I'm Doug Falconer. It's sunny and 25 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at the top of the hour. The November Ice Futures Canola contract did well this week, while the December Minneapolis wheat contract was a bit down. PI Financial Commodity Futures Advisor Adam Piccolo says the November canola contract was up $8 a metric ton to around $817. 
Its performance on the market was aided by Stats Canada's crop production estimate report. We saw production is expected to fall by about 6.1 percent uh, to 17.6 million tons. So uh, a few different factors there with the Saskatchewan expected to produce about 6.3 percent less canola uh, with yields projected to decrease by 13.9 percent to 32.7 bushels per acre. And that was kind of the story kind of across the board with uh, Manitoba yields expected to decrease about uh, 9.5% and production down about 13.3%, um, as well as in Alberta, uh, expected to down about 1.2% on yields. But I'm seeing that, again, th- these numbers are quite supportive for canola. However, it's actually the soy markets that uh, could limit some of the upside here. So the soy Soy markets in particular, the charts have been quite damaging here right now, and weekend forecasts um, are conducive to more production than kind of than on the threatening side. So the path of least resistance for beans actually should remain down, and I think that's where it could limit maybe some upside for now in canola, uh, but we could still see it, you know, kind of go a little bit drift higher here in the short to medium term. The December wheat contract was down about 26 cents a bushel to around $7.76. The StatScan report was sort of supportive of wheat. Spring wheat yields uh, are anticipated to fall by about 19.9% to 42.6 bushels per acre. Uh, we're, and StatsCan did actually predict total wheat production um, anticipated to fall about 14.5%. So uh, I'm seeing... You know, clients often say, well, why wasn't Minneapolis wheat higher than, than where it is right now? Because of, you know, that was a bullish stats can report. Well, when we see the Chicago markets, the Kansas City markets down at their lows as well, too, I, I do believe that that spills over to the Minneapolis side as well, too, because Minneapolis, if you look at the actual volume of how, or how much is traded daily, Minneapolis today is at about 8,000 contracts whereas Chicago's is about 66,000 contracts. So uh, that's quite a bit less that Minneapolis has kind of traded only about you know 10% of that. So uh, in other words, we can see that traders can move Minneapolis down a lot of easier than the Chicago side. So right now with the trends kind of remaining down, uh, I always say take the path of least resistance, and uh, that's where kind of I think that we could kind of still go down a little bit more. We might see some buying at some point, but right now, you know, I don't believe that uh, time is now. Pacalo will be observing the weather and how that will influence soybeans and canola prices. I think, again, traders are going to be watching still kind of some of the weather side um, on the soybean markets and, again, how that can flow into the the canola side. Right now, I would say the trends on canola are pointing that we could see a return back up to that 840 area on the November contract. So that's something I'm talking to clients about is, you know, how much they have sold. Maybe we should be buying it back at some point if if the crop isn't looking good. Um, Or if they're, again, planning on they have a good crop. Um, There's a lot of farms out there that do have a good crop and they might not have sold enough up here. So that's where we might be protecting uh, just in case there is a fall over the next, you know, a few months as harvest rolls on.
Adam Pacallo is a Commodity Futures Advisor with PI Financial in Winnipeg. Livestock Market Conditions. U.S. live cattle futures for October closed at 180.15 today. That's down 67. December live cattle closed at 184.17, down 62. October feeder cattle closed at 254.65, down 137. November feeder cattle closed at 256.37, down 127. October lean hogs closed at 83.05, up 50. December lean hogs closed at 74.60, up 27. And that's the livestock market conditions. Please stay tuned. Saskag today will return in 90 seconds time. We're here. Future Ford has been serving the Melville area for over 30 years. They focus on the future. Their staff are ready for what's to come. Ford Tech is changing all the time with new vehicle technology like EV, self-driving, and more. Get ready to drive into the future. Why? Because the future is Future Ford. Welcome back to Saskag Today. With harvest upon us, many canola producers will be scouting for disease in their crops. Warren Ward is an agronomy specialist with the Canola Council of Canada. He explains what farmers should be looking for. Yeah, so it's an interesting time of year for uh, for seeing how the how the growing season went, and and definitely it is a good time to get out there and do some disease scouting. Uh, a few things to be looking for at this time of year uh, on the disease front, anyway, would be uh, you know there's a number of them out there. Sclerotinia is always one that we like to keep track of, and um, you know in certain areas that's been uh, not as prominent this year. Although there are a few fields out there that that do have it, and generally those are the ones that were uh, wetter, you know, leading up to that flowering period. So uh, the, that's one that uh, that. It's always good to keep track of. It is usually the most common disease that we do have in canola. So aside from that one, uh, one I'm seeing a little bit more of this year would be verticillium stripe. That's a relatively new disease for us in in terms of what's of affecting canola, and it's uh, it's a disease that does show up later on in the year. So you know by that swathing time, or even later on till uh, till after harvest in the standing stubble, you can you can go out and find it there as well. So uh, what that one does is uh, it again starts in the roots and moves moves up into the stem of the plant from there and kind of chokes off the the water and nutrient supply. So it's one that's similar to when scouting for blackleg if you pull a plant out of the soil and, and clip it off at the you know higher up on the root you can uh, can look at that and if you're seeing some discoloration there it could be one of two things generally one would be blackleg and blackleg typically looks like that nice defined pie shape black discoloration whereas verticillium is not as defined of a, of a discoloration so it's kind of more of a cloudy appearance or, or grayish appearance in that in that uh, root cross-section. The other thing with uh, with verticillium is later on in the season it does show up on the, as I mentioned a higher up on the stem and you can kind of see that outer layer of the of the epidermis kind of peeling away and and seeing some some really uh, small micro microsclerotia growing underneath that. So so there's a couple couple of things to to look out for and we do have lots of 
uh, scouting guides and, and tips and whatnot, either through Canola Watch or on, on our uh, Canola Council of Canada website as well. Because it does get tricky sometimes trying to distinguish between some of these diseases because they, they do uh, oftentimes look similar if you're, uh, if you're not as, uh, as used to looking for them. Ward adds that some canola fields may have a gray-black tinge to them. Yeah, one other thing that we're seeing a little bit more of this year is um, alternaria, which is, again, a disease that shows up later on in the season. Uh, usually, uh, it's not uncommon to find it. Some years, it's uh, it's more prominent than others, and it is looking like it is fairly prominent this year. So quite often, that just shows up as, uh, you know, smaller black uh, discolorations on the pods or, or sometimes on the stem as well. This year, we're seeing a little bit more of it, uh, and, and really, that one shows up later when that waxy cuticle layer on the canola starts to uh, to disintegrate or, or disappear that's when alternaria moves in so uh, again it's uh, one of those things that some years are worse than others and it does seem like there's a little bit more of it out there this year and uh, as well as some of the black sooty molds that uh, you can find that just kind of rub off when you when you touch them so I've heard some reports of people who are swathing and and just having uh, a lot of uh, kind of fine black dust covering everything and and that would be uh, would be the cause of that. But he says alternaria shouldn't affect yields. So typically the ones that show up later on in the season like this aren't as uh, uh, impactful when it comes to yield. Uh, so the alternarias and the, and the sooty molds, they're, they're uh, not something I would expect to, to really cause any, any yield loss. Um, under really severe scenarios, maybe you could see some extra shelling from uh, uh, something like alternaria, but that that's fairly rare as well. So, so generally speaking, these the diseases that show up really late, like like those ones, are are not going to cause a lot of uh, implications for yield, uh, especially when compared to something like clubroot or or sclerotinia or uh, potentially even verticillium. And as for its impact on the grading of canola. Uh, no, it, it really shouldn't affect grading. Uh, again, so long as the harvest operations are happening at a at uh, the appropriate timing, so whether it's desiccation for straight cutting or, or swathing, we want to make sure that we've got the appropriate seed color change. So, again, depending on which desiccation product you're using, there's a there's a bit of a range there in terms of what's required for seed color change. And again, for swathing, you know, we, we like to say that 60 to 70% seed color change on the main stem is, is our target. And really what we're looking for there is just making sure that we're not going too early and, and locking in that green seed. Ward notes kosher weed can be an issue at harvest time. Yeah, certainly. So any uh, any green plant material that ends up in the bin uh, can can cause issues for storage, especially if uh, if it goes into the bin at a warmer temperature. But even at cooler temperatures, we know that uh, anything high moisture in the bin is uh, is uh, is not a good thing. So uh, again, keep uh, keep an eye on that canola once it's in the bin and make sure it's getting aerated or or uh, or moved around if if necessary, just to make sure that canola stays in good condition. He says some farmers have had to deal with uneven maturity of their canola crops. Yeah, uneven maturity can be a tricky one to manage. It's uh, Generally, it's probably been a problem throughout the year. In this area, I haven't seen too much of that, fortunately, as compared to, to some of the other regions in Western Canada that, that have had some, uh, maybe didn't get off to as good of a start as we did here. But um, but yeah, certainly, um, you know, staging of those harvest operations does become more of a challenge with uh, with that variable uh, maturity from a, from a variable crop. So, 
So that one is one where you'd, uh, you know, hopefully it's a, a pod shatter resistant variety that uh, that you can leave out there a little bit longer, whether that's standing uh, for straight cut or or just delayed swathing to to let as much of that plant mature as possible. And Ward says aster yellow has been found in some crops as well. We're seeing a little bit more of that this year than uh, than normal, and again, that's a, another one that uh, isn't isn't a, a significant problem every year. But some years it does have higher, uh, it is more prominent than other years, and this seems to be a year where there is a little bit more of it out there. Again, that's more of uh, you know when you when you look out across a field, you can generally see those plants, and they tend to stand out because they are so much different from the other ones, and that's those those plants that are are kind of deformed and have bladder shaped pods or Sometimes the pods are splitting open and the, the seeds inside are doing some weird things like turning into leaves or, or germinating. So um, it's, uh, it's, it's very visual, but generally not, uh, not much of a yield concern. I, I, I know that uh, in this area, I haven't seen, I mean, it's, it's around, but I haven't seen enough that I'd be really concerned with, um, with any yield loss from it. Warren Ward is an agronomy specialist with the Canola Council of Canada, based in Springside, just northwest of Yorkton. It's time now for your commodities update, and that's a presentation of Ducks Unlimited Canada. Ducks is offering a new winter wheat program package that will help with your crop's yield and water retention. The winter cereal program package comes with agronomic advice from seeding to harvest and more. With 5-4. Commodities Update. Canola futures closed up across the board today. November canola closed at 811.40, up $2.70. January canola closed at 818.40, up $4.50. December Minneapolis wheat closed at 759 and 3 quarters, down 7 cents. December Kansas City wheat closed at 722 and 3 quarters down four and a half cents. December Chicago wheat closed at 595 and a half, down six and a half cents. December corn closed at 481 and a half, up three and a quarter cents. November soybeans closed at 1369 and a quarter, that's up a half a cent. December oats closed at 486 and a half, down six and three quarters of a cent. And that's the commodities update. Please stay tuned, SaskAg today. We'll return after these messages. Four. Farm Bulletin Board. Women in Ag is preparing for its Heart of the Farm Connect conference in Saskatoon later this year. Vicki Lawrence, the partnership lead with Women in Ag, says events like the conference give women an opportunity to network with others, grow relationships, and enhance their roles on the farm. She gave a rundown of what this year's conference looks like. So we've got a really good lineup, exciting lineup for, for guests this year. Um, we've got our headliner, Jody Carrington, will be there um, Thursday after brunch. Um, and then we've got some really great speakers throughout Wednesday as well. Um, Hayden Fox, Trent Fraser, Caroline Brookfield. Um, as well as some of our internal women and in ag mentors are going to be putting on a breakout session, as well as we have some really fun entertainment for this year. We've got 
the cheese ambassador to kind of lead things off uh, Tuesday night. Um, and then we've got, he calls himself the ginger ninja, uh, Matt Gore, who will be our evening ember- entertainment for Wednesday after our banquet. So really exciting lineup this year. While there isn't a name for this year's theme, Lawrence did say there is one for the conference. Last year we had it better together just with it being the first conference coming in after COVID. We were finally able to get together. This year we don't really have a name for our theme, um, but it's more or less we're just looking at a lot of our speakers are talking about, you know, their journeys within the industry that can kind of help Uh, us women within the industry gain within both our personal life and within our work or farm life as well as some mental health Um, we find that's really important thing to kind of focus on and talk about and how to manage that as well as there will be some kind of hands-on breakout session learning sessions too um, just to kind of balance life and in general She was asked how much the conference has influenced the growth of women having more prominent roles with the agriculture sector over the years. So it's definitely, like I think about it, I've kind of been within the industry working for probably the last 10 years now um, and just seeing that progression with as many female colleagues I have and female leads within the farm themselves over that. But definitely um, we see such a diverse amount of women coming to these conferences, whether they're working within the industry and don't necessarily farm as well, or uh, they're helping lead their farm, um, working alongside their spouses or their siblings or their parents, um, as well as just some general entrepreneurs within the industry as well. There's a lot of women we feel that who are starting to become bigger roles within the farm or within the industry. And there also, there's a lot of women out there that are looking at kind of growing some entrepreneurial businesses on their own. Um, so we've got some really good kind of partnerships with some companies um, within our industry that try to help and guide women through those journeys and what they're looking for and people they can kind of reach out to. And she has the details on how to register for the conference. If anyone's looking for tickets, tickets are on sale right now. You can get them at our womeninegg.ca website, or if you follow us on any social media platform, um, there's a direct link through there as well. The Heart of the Farm Connect conference will be held at the Sheraton Cavalier Hotel in Saskatoon from November 7th to the 9th. And that's today's Farm Bulletin Board. It's time now for the GX94 Precision Weather Forecast. For the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions today, some smoke-filtered sunshine, winds west-northwest at 15 to 30, gusting higher at times, and a high of 26 degrees. For tonight, clear, winds southwest at 10 to 20, and a low of 16. For tomorrow, mainly sunny, winds northwest at 25 to 40, at gusting to over 50 at times, a high of 30, with an overnight low of 13. For Sunday, mainly sunny, winds southwest at 15 to 30, and a high of 29. For Monday, partly sunny with a 20% chance of a shower, a high of 23. Tuesday, mainly sunny with a slight chance of evening showers, a high of 
19. In the Paw, Dauphin and Roblin, it's 24 degrees. Swan River is at 26. Brandon, 25. Show Lake Russell, 23. Regina is reporting in at 26 degrees. Saskatoon, Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington, 23. Hudson Bay, Indian Head, 25. Broadview, Mooseman, 24. The Yorkton-Melville region has a sunny sky, a west-northwest wind at 26, gusting to 39 kilometers an hour. 50% is the relative humidity. The temperature is 25 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for SaskAg Today for today. Be sure to tune in again on Tuesday at 12.15 Saskatchewan time for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines. SaskAg Today has been brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Future Ford is your automotive expert. From sales to service, they're the ones you can trust to get you rolling again sooner.